Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. With Lindsay Hooper, Hayley McQueen and Kate Borsay. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Offside Rule podcast. And it is the usual motley crew. It's myself, Lindsay Hooper. Oh, you're so mean, but you're right. It's Hayley McQueen. I don't know about Motley, but yeah, it's Kate Borsay. Hello. Um, thanks very much for joining us. We are on Twitter, so you can follow us at Offside Rule Pod. We've got a lovely website, offsiderulepodcast.com. And we're on Facebook, so give us a follow there. Every week we're out on Thursdays. And this, our latest offering, is going to talk about these following subjects. Uh, we're going to talk bench warmers, girls, because if you take a look at the Premier League, up and down clubs, lots of players bought in during the summer. But some big names sat on the bench just mm. watching on and they're not injured there's nothing wrong with them so what are we going to do with some stellar talent that's just going to waste so I'm going to ask you to pick two that you've spotted and where you would maybe ship them off to in January um, but it has to be within the same league I am going to say that uh, we're also going to talk secrets of a footballer I've given you a completely clean slate here <laughs> so you can <laughs> dig up three facts any facts at all I'm relying on Hayley having at least one Manchester United one don't know if I do, but one of mine involves adult entertainment. Oh, Ooh, that's a secret and a half. Have you been looking through someone's history on the internet? Or their future. Oh. Um, so we've got secrets of a footballer. So three potentially unknown facts, or you'd have to be really up on your football and know some obscure things to know what we're going to tell you. So hopefully you'll learn some things there. Uh, Faker Others is going to give us our Twitter topic of the week, which is actually a rundown of our Q&A with Rachel Yankee. We ran the competition with Vauxhall England, giving away tickets to England versus Wales this Saturday. Uh, The best 10 questions were selected. Rachel's answered them. um, Faye's going to actually run through those, not Hayley. But I will be listening and I'll run through them with Faye if she wants, but I don't think she needs any help at all, to be honest. Thanks for getting me out of that error. And also, we will have Kate Partridge with her Bundesliga roundup and she's already got us thinking about spooky things, which we might have a Halloween special next week, hadn't we, Kate? I think we will. (laughs) The female take on football. Uh, We'll start then with topic one. Are you for real? Um, there have been some memorable bad refereeing decisions in the past, haven't there, over the years? But everyone would say Henri's handball, of course, the Lampard goal that never was. But this weekend, the antics of Samuel Eto against Cardiff and the whole can the keeper bounce the ball or not uh, made us think of other refereeing decisions over the years, just from your memory that you can recall and that you gasped in disbelief. I'm going to start, as usual from now on, by the way, just so that I can tell you, it will always be Haley first. Here we go. Let's start with the World Cup final, the last World Cup where Spain were victorious and beat Holland, but they played dirty. And it was a World Cup where, okay, England didn't make it to the final. They probably won't for quite some time, but who knows? Fingers crossed, you just never know. But we did have an Englishman in the final, of course. Howard Webb was refereeing and there was a lot of build-up about this, I remember, at the time in the papers. I was working out in Doha, covering it for Al Jazeera, and even Howard Webb made the news out there in the build-up too. And we were following all the English press, just thinking this is going to be really exciting. He's going to shine and show that, yes, the England team might not be able to get to a final, but we're very proud to have some of the best referees in the world, although our stories coming up may prove otherwise. But he had an absolute mare, didn't he? Do you remember it? The incident where he should have sent off Nigel de Jong for 
a ridiculous tackle on Xavi Alonso. It was literally a studs-up, karate-style kick. It was when the Dutch side were playing really... Not pretty football, I don't think. It wasn't the kind of final that we were hoping for. It wasn't what we were expecting with Holland there, I don't think. Kicking, slapping and that kung fu kick. And Howard Webb, he even admitted after the game and said, one thing... I would change is the colour of the card for De Jong's tackle. Having seen it again from my armchair several times in slow motion and from different angles, I can see that it was a red card offence. Well, I don't think you needed slow mos <laughs> And watching it several times, I think straight away everyone was calling for a straight red card. He had a mare throughout that whole game. Maybe the pressure just got to him a little bit too much. Just a couple of years later, he's been refereeing down the leagues in League One. So he's kind of fallen from grace slightly um, and had a bit of a contrast there from the World Cup in 2012 a couple of years later yeah dropping down the leagues but he had a bit of a torrid time and that's just sort of to show you that it wasn't necessarily a decision that made a huge impact on a game but a decision that made an impact maybe on on, on a referee's career in general Okay Kate dust off those brain cells what have you got for us? Well, when we talk refereeing decisions, and we often do after a weekend of football, don't we? My mind goes back to last March, actually, March last season, um, where there was a whole raft of bad decisions in the Premier League and all the press the following week, and I remember this clearly, we're all talking about what we can do with our referees. Do we ask them to explain themselves after a game? Do we give them some sort of technology? There was a lot of chat about it. March 2013, OK, now there were some big decisions to make in the games that I'm going to talk about. Not 50-50 decisions either, pretty conclusive decisions. For example, Mario and Fellaini handballed in the Everton-Manchester City game, not seen by any of the officials. If City had been awarded that penalty, it could have completely changed the game. Instead, it finished Everton 2, Manchester City 0. OK, so that went in Everton's favour. In the Sunderland game against Norwich on the same weekend, Hewton's men, and they should have had a penalty when Danny Rose from Sunderland handled on the edge of the box. The penalty wasn't given one all between those two sides. And in the third game I'm going to mention, Wigan against Newcastle. Wigan's winning goal was a really blatant handball from Figueroa. I don't know how that wasn't seen. If you look back at the footage, it's a bit of a shocker. Wigan won that one 2-1 and collected all three points. Looking back at those games, the advantage with every single decision went with the home side. I haven't done any more research into this, but I'm just wondering if there are decisions to be missed or sides to be favoured, does that pattern continue? Is the home side always favoured? Here's one that's based on a ramification, I suppose. It's back from 97. And I know, Lindsay, that you'd said to try and keep it within the last 10 years but I broke the rules because it's about time I did. I've been very well behaved this season, haven't I? Um, so I've dug one up from 1997, uh, Bolton against Everton. It ended in a nil-nil draw, but it shouldn't have done. Bolton's Jerry Tagger, he smashed a header off the bar, bounced back down into the goal mouth. Everton's Terry Feeling cleared the ball, but it had crossed the line, so it should have been a Bolton win. The game ended nil-nil. At the end of the season, Everton avoided relegation by one point. If the referee had got that game correct, Everton would have been relegated. There is a refereeing howler, but to the, the relief of Everton fans up and down the land. Um, I'm going to go for one which also is the ball crossing the line, but this ball crossed the line so <laughs> convincingly crossed the line. It actually hit the bar in the, the back of the goal mouth. It was a Freddie Sears goal. It bounced out the back of the goal. 
everybody in the entire stand could see that Freddie Sears had scored for Crystal Palace. By the way, any of these that we can find the videos on YouTube, we will make sure that we put the links up on the Facebook page and website and all things like that. And I know I can find this one for you. So it was a decisive goal against Bristol City. He runs off in celebration. You know when they do the the whole go to their knees and the corner flag moment and want to just celebrate. And he turns around... And it's not being given. All of the players are just looking around it for a few good few seconds in disbelief. Like, are, are you kidding? It is the most obvious goal you will ever see. You hear it hit the back yeah. of the net and then sort of come out again. So um, I felt really sorry for him. And as you can imagine, Neil Warnock had a few things to say. That's when, as a ref, you really want about 15,000 people going, it's a goal! It's a goal! You really want that, don't you? But you've got to get the decisions right. Um, so Graham Pohl is next. Now, this is quite an obvious one. It's one that lots of people will probably be shouting out as they're listening to the podcast. The 2006 World Cup. I have to mention it, though, very briefly everyone knows what happened he issued three yes three yellow cards to Josep Simonich and I just could not believe when he got the yellow card out for a third time but the best bit about that is his facial expression the recognition when he's like (laughs) ah yeah I've had a bit of a howler there and he actually admits to really blushing about that and finding it one of the worst things to overcome and well I imagine that would be the case but um, yeah three yellow cards uh, no more repeats of that but who knows what will come in the next World Cup I'm sure we'll be talking about something Hi, I'm Phil Thompson and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Uh, Next then, we'll move on to topic two and it's bench warmers. So we've been looking at the benches. I'd say in particular the top sides in the Premier League, you sort of top eight to ten sides. They've all got players sat on the bench just dying to get first team football that just can't get a look in. So I feel that there's a wealth of talent going unused. I would like you to tell me who you would like to see playing more first regular team football and maybe who you would ship them off to come January. But we're looking within the same league. So if you've gone Premier League, let's stick within the Premier League, starting this time with Kate. OK, well, this one's mystified me for quite some time. And I'd hoped with a new manager at Manchester City, his fortunes might change. But with the arrival of some seriously good attacking talent his fortunes haven't I'm talking Jack Rodwell arrived at City in August 2012 for £12 million he's only made one full appearance for the club so far this season I know he had a lot of time out injured last season so you could maybe excuse him for that but this season there are no excuses Um, players like Jesus Navas Fernandinho means that he just has not had his chance he's been on the bench twice in the league once in the Champions League otherwise he just hasn't featured at all in the team and I think that's a great shame it's such a great shame you know he is a young prospect for this country and we need to be doing more to look after these young prospects Specs. Does he regret going to City for £12 million? Well, only he can answer that. But I can tell you his career has gone nowhere since the move. And a very similar one that you've got me thinking is Scott Sinclair yeah. as well. Yeah. A very similar case. These guys really need to be um, either going out on loan somewhere or making a very decisive move about their career. Where would I send him? I'm going to send him to Crystal Palace. He's pacey, he's a good tackler, good passer, really good stamina as well. Crystal Palace, they lack edge, don't they? They need something. They need someone to turn situations around for them. At the moment, they just choke and they struggle. So I'm going to send him to Palace to give them some of the edge. Not not all of the edge, because he's realistically not going to be able to do that, but some of the edge that they so desperately need. My second player, Chikorito. 
I feel sorry for him. I love Chikorito. I really do. Uh, He's only made one start for Manchester United in all competitions this season. He's been on the pitch three times, two of those from the subs bench. He had a hammy injury in August, so that saw him have a little bit of time out, but there's no excuses now, really. He's just not featured regularly under David Moyes. One of the results of that, really, is that, I don't know whether you saw it, but he plays for Mexico. Mexico played Costa Rica in the World Cup qualifiers last week. He missed a shot at an open goal, and he should have got that in. And that, to me, says confidence. That, that to me, says you need to be playing more. Yeah, and he wouldn't usually do that. And I just think he'd be a great asset. I'm actually shipping him off for you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, thanks. He'd be a great asset for someone like Arsenal, wouldn't he? Well, he needs regular football, that's for sure. You could look at Arsenal, but I don't fancy him at Arsenal. I have to say he is an instinctive player and that's why he should have got that shot in front of an open goal for Mexico last week. Um, He wasn't used by Moyes. Remember when Manchester United 4-0 down against Manchester City? Moyes should have used Chikorito. He didn't and that to me sums up Moyes' opinion of the player. If he didn't use him in that situation then when on earth is he going to use him? Sometimes criticised Chikorito for having a limited game but look he's going to have learnt so much in the last 12, 18, 24 months. I think he needs to make a move. Someone needs to do something with him. Where am I going to send him? I'm sending him to Norwich. Norwich need a plan B and Chikorito is great at coming off the subs bench and scoring and he turns games and he harasses players and his, his stamina and his work rate's brilliant. Hey, but come on, he would not be happy being a bench player, a sub player at Norwich. He's going to want to be starting every single game if he's there. I'm not even calling him a subsport at Norwich. I'm just sending him to Norwich, Lindsay Hooper. Um, They need a plan B. They were poor at scoring goals last season. They're poor at scoring goals again this season. Six in the league so far. Compare that to Manchester City's 20 in the league or Arsenal's 18 in the league. They're just not getting enough in. No Johan Almander at the moment. No Ricky van Wolfswinkel. They might be back this weekend. They're relying on Gary Hooper and Luciano Becchio, neither of whom has really got off the ground running, neither of whom has scored so far in the league. Norwich, they desperately need someone like Chikorito. Hayley, who are yours? My first is another promising young England player by the name of Jack, but Jack Cork. He's at an age where he needs to be playing regular football. He's a midfielder. He's been shipped out on loan to many clubs throughout his career. Could have stayed with Chelsea. It was never going to happen. You just look at the talent they've brought in. He was never going to make his way into the team. However, going to Southampton, you thought he would. He did play last season. He was out injured for a small spell. Nigel Adkins spoke quite heavily about how he was looking forward to him coming back from injury and he was going to shine. And he did play, of course, Southampton then had Mauricio Pochettini coming in and unfortunately they bought Victor Wanyama and he has taken the place of Jack Cork and he's actually when you look at the stats for this season only started one game with three sub appearances not really going to get a run in a cup either I don't think that is for him with Southampton doing so well Pochettino isn't going to change things he's not just going to suddenly bring him on had they not have had the start that they had and played such great football I think he would have got a chance, but I think he's sticking with what he's got at the moment. When you've got Wanyama, who's very big and strong, you're going to have a player like him. He's quite a classy player, Jack Cork. He's not the same playing style as Michael Carrick, but similar in that he's six foot. He's a classy player. He likes sort of tracking back as well as going forward. I think he could be very exciting, um, but I just think 
it's a real shame to have somebody like him, a player who can dictate the game, who is quite pacey, to just have him sitting on the bench. And I think if he's going to maybe be someone for England for the future, don't quite know if he's going to be good enough, but he has been good enough at all levels, you know, under 15s, 16s, 17s, 21s, right up to this stage right now. He's too old now to play for, for England youth level. But I just think it's a real shame that we have English talent that we so lack, particularly with English midfielders who were sitting on a bench kind of almost just rotting away because the manager unfortunately has somebody else in the same position as him who he is going to stick with. They are not going to change things at Southampton. Maybe he could go to Norwich. Norwich have amazing players in midfield at the moment but I think Chris Hewton is the sort of manager that I think would like to see a player like him come into his side and also stick with the young English player. I just think we lack these players, particularly in the position that he plays. And I think he'd be really, really exciting player to watch for the future, but maybe time's just running out for him. You're right, he needs a move, doesn't he? Mm. Who's your other mover? My other, I don't think he's going to move, but I think we need to stick with him. Johnny Evans had a wonderful season for Manchester United last year. He was one of those players for a few seasons, fans got on his back. If Johnny Evans was starting, there'd be a bit of a moan. Everybody wanted Rio Ferdinand and Manjovic, the solid, experienced, tall, strong back two that have been so impressive for United season after season after season. But guess what? They're just that little bit too old. Still big Rio Ferdinand love and Manjovic was one of my favourite players for many years at Manchester United. But I think it's a real shame that David Moyes hasn't continued with what Sir Alex Ferguson started. I'm not saying he doesn't give these players a chance because you just have to look at Adnan Yanazai and he's kind of, you know, changed things in the midfield. There's that gap where you've got Paul Scholes not playing anymore and he's, he's stuck with the, you know... I'm going to pitch him as well with one opinion about mm. United this year. Because everyone's saying about Moyes, are they now lacking the Fergie factor, the fact that he's now in the stands, mm. that players, they don't fear going to Old Trafford as much anymore. And there is one player that I think played better, much better, under Sir Alex Ferguson. And I and the thing is, he's the captain and that's Evera. Mm. And Evera, for me, has lost something. Mm. He's lost an edge. Mm. I know I always used to quite like the fact that United had one of the best left-backs in the, in the league, but I think it could be argued between Leighton Baines and Ashley Cole now. It's a little bit jealous mm-hmm. where that comes into things. But you've got, you know, Smallings, Jones, Evans, really exciting. Again, young players. Evans had a bit of a torrid time with Northern Ireland. He got sent off, missed the next game in the World Cup qualifiers. He's not been doing too great there. His confidence, I think, has, has dropped because he hasn't been selected. He looks like a really frustrated player. He's sitting on the bench just desperate. The other point to make about Rio and Vidic, I think even though Johnny Evans is fully fit, he will choose a not 100% fit Rio Ferdinand Mm. because he obviously trusts in his senior players. Mm. I don't know what it is. He obviously just doesn't quite fancy Johnny Evans. I must issue a disclaimer here as well and say that for those of you that have listened to Kate's examples and Haley's and are screaming, one matter! Um, I actually put that in your notes as an example, which is why none of us have gone for one matter because that's obvious one to mention. He's too often on the bench. Mourinho just does not fancy him and I think the fact that Juan Mata and AVB are quite close does not help relations with his current manager. Well, I've gone for another attacking midfielder, but this time I've turned my attentions to Spurs. I've watched Spurs a fair bit. I was at the Spurs-West Ham game a couple of weeks back and a very frustrated figure on the bench Eric Lamella because he's come um, from a big club in Europe to come and play in the Premier League and obviously wants to be out there playing getting minutes under his belt but there is a player in his way at the moment and his name's Andros Townsend (laughs) not only is he having a fantastic time of it for England but his Spurs performances 
He is easily, I think, the last three or four games been the best player on the pitch, even in the in the games where Spurs lost, like they did to West Ham. He was a standout player. So it's really difficult for players like Lennon and and like Lamella to get back in action. He was in the papers last week, wasn't he, saying that this is... Lamella, sorry, was in the papers last week saying that he um, had found it hard to adapt to the physicality of the um, English game. So I think part of the decision behind keeping him on the bench is actually to try and protect him more than anything else. I was going to ship him off, though. I wasn't going to be patient. I was going to ship him to Manchester United. Really? I think you need that sort of attacking midfielder because, let's face it, Zaha the role that he was meant to come and provide. He's not done that yet. And I think Lamella would slot in perfectly in, in providing that and really rivaling what Andros Townsend is doing at Spurs. I'm going to go on to my other player. I'm going to go with Edin Dzeko. Yeah. And I think that this chat that I was having, the the big conversation was that Chelsea, we were saying who's going to win the league. And around a table, there were about five of us. Three people said Manchester City because of their strike force. I still back Chelsea. Me too. And another friend of mine was backing Chelsea. But the argument from the City supporters in this case was that without a good strike force, they're not going to win the league with attacking midfielders scoring goals, where that's all where the Chelsea's goals are coming from. So I'm thinking, bring in Edin Dzeko to Chelsea. If you had him up front instead of Torres, although Torres has improved, I still think that he needs to go on now. So get rid of Torres, bring in Dzeko, have the likes of Hazard and Oscar and Schurler feeding balls into the likes of Dzeko and I think you would see easily another 10 goals on the tally. We will take a short interlude by passing over to Faker Brothers. We had a competition running with Vauxhall England. We asked you to put your questions to Rachel Yankee and we did a Q&A via our Twitter account and she responded here is Faye with all of the details and the winners Twitter Topic of the Week Well, this week's Twitter topic of the week was a little bit different. We did a question and answer session with Rachel Yankee. The top 10 questions have won a pair of tickets to England versus Wales World Cup qualifier on Saturday. I've got just a selection of some of your questions and Rachel's answers to give you. So let's start with Alison. She says, how did you first get involved in football? And Rachel said, I started playing with my older brother and his mate in the local park. And when I was eight, me and two boys I grew up with joined a boys team. Chris Pugh said, would you swap any of your trophies with Arsenal for a Euros or World Cup win with England. Uh, Rachel said, I'd love to win something with England and we'll work hard to make sure we get the chance, but I couldn't swap the success I've had at Arsenal. Emma Clark said, Rachel, you have so much experience, so what would be the one thing you'd say to girls aspiring to be like you? Rachel said, I'd say to have fun because it's the reason we all started playing the game and you play your best when you're enjoying yourself. Good advice. Dion Farn says, you've spent a lot of time on away trips. Where's your favourite favourite place you've been and who's your fave roomie? Uh, Rachel said, my fave place is hard to say because uh, most of the time all we see is hotels and football pitches. Fave roomie, she reckons is going to get her in trouble. She was going to say Laura Bassett, but apparently Laura had just texted her then to say she's bought a book to read. And um, Rachel's answer to that is boring. Uh, Emma says, what's been your proudest moment on the field? And Rachel said, winning my 100th cap was a very special day. And we'll end with James, who said, if your life and career were to be made into a film, who would you pick to act as you and why? Rachel said, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith could play my boyfriend. Thank you very much uh, 
for all of your tweets this week and congratulations to all the winners. Enjoy the game on Saturday. I'll be back next week with another Twitter topic of the week. Thank you very much for that, Faye. And for our winners, do enjoy the England-Wales game at Millwall on Saturday. And myself and Kate, hopefully, we'll see you there. Um, We'll move on to topic number three. Um, Secret footballers, or the secrets of footballers, rather. I think that's how I should adjust it. I want you, and you've got a completely clean slate, to tell me something I don't already know about a footballer. Mm. Uh, One of their secrets, a little unknown fact, just some juicy little things that our listeners can take away and impress their friends in the pub over the weekend. Yet you can pick up where I left off at the weekend, having football chat. So uh, I'm going to start with Hayley. I've got a few, but let's start. I'll keep it brief. Tino Espria, do you remember him? Yeah, yeah. Legend at St. James's Park. Absolutely. Like, why I? Well. <laughs> why I, man? But apparently he loves the lavish lifestyle, is known in his native Colombia for being a little bit wild. Well, he has been offered in his retirement a career as an adult entertainer. No, not an adult entertaining children in a room. In the world of adult entertainment. Oh, that's he's right. Talking pornography yeah i'm sorry to bring this up on the show but no it's true um a well-known adult site has got in touch with tino espria there was actually a letter posted online it's an official letter that was sent to him and his agent saying we've offered you 20 million pesos for a week as a porn star this is a unique offering which awaits your prompt response we are convinced that with a little training you could exploit another talent all of colombia knows you have 20 million what? Pesos. What's that? So uh, what does that equate to? It's a contract close to around about £7,000. Yeah. Seven grand? Yeah. He's not going to do that for seven grand. I don't know if it's a one-off kind of thing. Or maybe he spent all his money going out having a great time. Maybe it's performance related. <laughs> I don't know where we go from here, Hayley. Why did you start with this one? We should have built up to this one. You've got two more. I do. One of them is, do you know why Arsenal is called Arsenal, not the Arsenal? Herbert Chapman allegedly changed the team name to Arsenal from the Arsenal so his team could appear top of the alphabetical list in Division 1. Yeah, it's never been stood up, this story, but there you go. Socrates, remember him? Sadly passed away just a couple of years ago. Brazilian maestro, yes. Yeah. Well, he was a legend, but he has a medical degree. He actually was a columnist for a number of newspapers and magazines. He didn't write about sports, he wrote about economics and politics as well. He appeared on lots of Brazil TV programmes as a football pundit, but also wrote a fictional book about the World Cup in Brazil, which sadly, it was to be 2014 World Cup. He was planning this fiction book. He's a fantastic writer as well, a very creative man, but unfortunately it, it wasn't to be. Kate, yours? I've got an Arsenal one as well, actually. And that's a good Herbert Chapman fact, because, of course, as Woolwich Arsenal, they would have probably been very near the bottom, wouldn't they? Um, Arsenal, did you know that their secret weapon, their their secret dietary weapon is banoffee pie? (laughs) Anyone know this? Because the bananas and the sugar in it make very, very good energy boosters. So that's one of the Arsenal players' uh, secret weapons. It's a, it's a good job it wasn't involved in Battle of the Buffet back in 2004. It would have been a very much messier affair than pizza, wouldn't it? Oh, go on. I'd, like to, I'd love to see someone like Giroud on Mary Berry's Bake Off. <laughs> Uh, No jokes allowed. Did you know that the Chile under-20 football squad were fined in 2002 for laughing? Apparently someone cracked a joke. The whole team fell about laughing, interrupted the manager's team talk. The manager said, I'm not having this. You're all fined. You're never allowed to laugh again in my presence. 
I'm going to reveal another fact today. Oh. I got thrown out of the brownies for laughing. <laughs> God. I'm actually surprised it wasn't talking. Um, <laughs> um, Arsene Wenger, he speaks very proficient German. Messi never watches highlights of himself. <laughs> Sol Campbell did a summer course at world-renowned drama school RADA whilst he was still at Arsenal. Wow. Not many people know that one at all. And Norwich's John Ruddy is a mega fan of which TV show? Knight Rider. Gossip Girl. He can't get enough of it. I don't think anyone knows that either. Um, I'm going to start with Roman Pavlichenko. Um, the former Spurs striker had a flourishing career in politics. I'm coming off a little bit like what you were talking about, Hayley, from one of yours. He was a city council representative of Stavropol and is a member of Vladimir Putin's United Russia Party. I knew that. I knew that. So do I pass with that one if one knew and one didn't? Otherwise, I'll just throw in an extra one. Dimitar Berbatov um, can draw. Um, I'm going to try you with someone else then. I'm going to really try this time. Uh, Did you know that Rio Ferdinand... Has a, is a defender. Yeah, we get yeah, no. <laughs> Has a body double. Yes. No, I didn't. Oh, damn it! And he plays professional football, doesn't yes. he? In League One or something, and he's... AFC Wimbledon player yeah. Matt Mitchell-King is the official body double of Rio Ferdinand. Also part-time model. Um, he got a professional contract and was offered one by crew Alexandra as well. But the work that he loves the most is being Rio's body double. He says that he thinks his rates are a bit cheaper than his, which I would expect from a body double. Um, and then my last one, because I thought we had to dig deep and I thought, this is going to be a real secret. Who but, who but re- it really has to be good. It really has to be good. I'm outing a spy. Oh. Ooh. So I'm going to have to keep my voice down. Jika uh, Popescu. Do you remember Popescu? Popescu played for Spurs, PSV, Galatasaray. He was a former Barcelona captain, so our friend Guillaume Balaguer would know him very well. I probably know that, but I I don't. I don't know him. I'm going to have to look at him. Very top-level footballer. So Popescu, maybe I'm just saying it weird. Um, But in his early career... He was a Romanian secret spy. Oh, my goodness. And I'm just going to leave you with that because I think I should go out on a high. Uh, I'm going to now hand over to Kate Partridge, who's got our Bundesliga roundup, and she's starting with a bit of a Halloween theme for next week. As widely reported, Halloween came early at Hoffenheim, and it was definitely trick, not treat, thanks to a ghost goal. 70 minutes in, Bayer Leverkusen are 1-0 up, earn a corner, Stefan Kiesling heads wide only to look back and see the ball in the net. Cue double take. The optical delusion fooled players, officials and TV commentators until replays revealed a hole in the side netting that had let the ball in. But too late, 2-0. Despite doubts but no protest, top ref Felix Brook had said goal. Sammy Hoopia's side then won 2-1 and went top for a day. Kiesling later apologised, Leverkusen were contrite, Hoffenheim are protesting and think it's not just the net that should get knotted. There's a precedent. In April 94, Bayern Munich beat Nuremberg 2-1 thanks to a non-Thomas Helmer goal. Nuremberg complained, the German FA said replay and Bayern won 5-0 en route to the title. Perhaps not the happiest omen for Hoffenheim. The following day was more predictable and more ominous. Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich conceded at home to Mainz then hit four in the second half to wallop them 4-1 and reclaim first place. The treble winners are now unbeaten in 34 league matches and just two wins short of Hamburg's 30-year-old record of 36. Though Leverkusen and Dortmund are only a point behind, Jurgen Klopp's men edging Hanover 1-0. 
So, despite the phantom goal, the unsettling win, and maybe the tricky rematch, it's still looking spookily familiar in Germany. Thanks very much to Kate, and we will continue the Halloween theme ourselves with some spooky themed topics next week. Uh, you'll have to wait for a whole seven days to find out what. Um, just before we go, I wanted a quick update on your adopted teams. We all adopted a team at the start of the year from lower league. I'll, I'll kick us off. Newport. They're currently 10th in League 2, came up from the non-league. The, their last result, they beat York City 3-0 at home. They've got Plymouth Argyle tonight, which is we're recording ahead of that result, so I won't know what that is. But I've just got to point out as well about Newport, their star striker, Aaron O'Connor, who scored all of their goals last season, well, not all of them, but lots of them, uh, 20 goals last season. He's been out. So they're doing all of this and mm. are 10th in the league without their prolific striker. So... Newport doing very well. Um, I'm really keen to see how Haley's team are getting on, but we'll wait. (laughs) We'll wait for Haley's a bit longer because the last time we had an update, James Beattie wasn't doing so well, was he? Um, Kate. I think he's still getting hammers, isn't he? Uh, Oxford United, fourth in League Two, are the U's. They recorded only their first loss in the league on the 21st of September against Chesterfield. They've recently played at Quinton Stanley, actually. They've had another loss since that loss in September. Looking for a consistent streak again, really. They play Exeter tonight, who are one point ahead of them in the league. They need home wins. That's what Oxford United are lacking at the moment, home wins. They've got AFC Wimbledon at the weekend. Quick shout on behalf of the club. Don't miss Oxford United on ice folks. Oh yeah, Wednesday 30th of October at the Oxford Ice Rink where I used to skate as a child. Can you go backwards? No, I'm rubbish, but I did used to skate there as a child. Uh, Oxford Ice Rink is going to be hosting Oxford United supporters and members of the team, including mascots Ollie and Olivia the Oxes, uh, to demonstrate their Torval and Dean skills on ice. Wow. Thank you for that. Hayley. Skating on thin ice right now, James Beattie. But no, Accrington Stanley, they stuck with him. And do you remember a few weeks ago I made a joke about him coming out of management and putting on his boots? He's had to do it. Why? Because the side are at the very bottom of the table, the bottom of the lowest of the bottom league and football league. Still haven't won. They've been on their greatest run so far, though. Back-to-back draws. That's the best spell they've had all the season, following eight defeats in a row. Yep. 12 games yet to win they do actually score and they don't concede many they only basically lose very narrowly one nils two ones but yes they're still beaten and they're still at the bottom of the league but they have stuck with BT and um, I'm just desperately waiting for a win because I'm going to have the biggest party ever. <laughs> <laughs> Poor James Beattie. Um, thank you very much for this week, girls. So we've got a spooky episode coming up next week with a Halloween theme and we have another big landmark coming up, don't we? Oh, 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 What? <laughs> In a few weeks, we, there might be a birthday on the horizon Ooh. and not one of us. Happy birthday to Bloop. <laughs> we'll be with you in a few weeks' time. Keep listening at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and OffsideRulePodcast.com is our website. Bye-bye. The Offside Rule. We get it. With Lindsay Hooper, Hayley McQueen and Cade Borsay.